this this morning, this Sunday, we are beginning a new sermon series uh, that I'm calling the Gospel Driven Life, and what we're talking about is how the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news about all that Christ has accomplished and done, is something that uh, in the book of Galatians is called to drive every single area of our life. The message of the gospel is something that is not to be uh, known at the beginning of the Christian life and, and then moved away from, but is rather to be something to be applied to every single area in your life. And in that way, it becomes our driving force. It becomes our motivation. It, it changes us. We're changed by the gospel. So we're going to be talking about that for the next seven weeks as we study the book of Galatians. One of the things I was thinking about in coming to this uh, sermon this morning, we're talking about guarding the gospel. I was talking about um, how easy it is to forget things. You ever find yourself being forgetful of things? I'm uh, I'm somebody that might um, be described as a forgetful person. Uh, It's very easy for me uh, to forget a whole lot. And so because I recognize that in myself, I'm constantly trying to remember everything. And so, um, for instance, if you were to see me get out of my truck, you would see me checking immediately for my keys, making sure I put my hands on them. Why do you think I do that? Because I've locked them in my truck a hundred times. Or if I've been sitting somewhere for a little while and I get up to leave, you always see me turn around and investigate the area that I was in. (laughs) Why would I do that? Because I've left things, valuable things, often. And, uh, And I also have dreams about forgetting things. You ever had this? You know, one of my recurring nightmares is that I wake up and I have forgotten that it's Sunday and I was supposed to preach. <laughs> that didn't happen today. Another thing is sometimes I'll, I'll dream that I've forgotten my pants. <laughs> you ever have those nightmares, you know, you're, you're standing in front of people and you've forgotten to dress? You know, it's a nightmare. Luckily, I remembered my pants this morning. But one, I think one of the reasons that I obsess so much about not forgetting might go back to a very <clears throat> traumatic experience uh, not so many years ago. Um, right after I graduated college, I went on staff with a campus ministry. I was working at the University of Georgia. And after my first year, um, I was... Thank you. After my first year on staff, I was leading a summer mission trip to Russia of eight UGA students. And on the day that we were about to leave, uh, the parents of all these students brought them to Atlanta and said their goodbyes to their children and put the future fates of their children in the hands of somebody who was only a couple years older than their children. Enormous amount of faith. Uh, And I remember in particular one mother 
as she's handing off her daughter, after everybody kind of walked over to the side, she grabbed me by the shirt and pulled me in. And she said, bring my daughter home. And then she turned around and walked off. And so I felt the gravity of the situation there. Well, in our time of debriefing, one of the things that they said over and over and over to all the teams that were going all over the world is they said, guard your passport with your life. This is your identity. This is your security. This is your protection. This is the only thing that gives you a standing and that gives you rights in the world. Never, ever, ever let this go. That was one of the things they stressed over and over and over. So, okay, anxiety level increasing. So, here we go. Away we go. We go to the airport. We board the plane. We had a layover in Atlanta, and then we would be off to Russia. So, I mean, we had a layover in New York. I'm sorry. <clears throat> we get off the plane in New York. We're about to get on the plane to Moscow. And the girl whose mother had just threatened my life comes up to me and says, well, actually, we were in line getting on the plane. They're checking passports and visas and she looks at me with this look of panic on her face and I said no 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 don't don't give me that look I don't know what she said my passport's gone I've last lost my passport we didn't even get out of the country what had happened was this young lady that I she's fantastic I love her but she's forgetful like me one of the things that happened is right after she had heard then reiterate over and over and over, this is your life, it's your standing, it's your status. Do not let go of it. She had, not long after that, gotten on the plane, sat down in her seat, and stuck her passport in the pocket in front of her, and laid back and went to sleep. The plane arrives, she deboards like everyone else, we're at the gate and realizes the passport's gone. We turned the airport upside down. It was gone. There was no finding it. So I sent the team on to Russia, and her and myself spent four days in New York, going from embassy to consulate, threatening lives, anything we could to try to get a passport. By God's grace, we got in two days what normally takes three months. We got a passport. But I think throughout that whole summer, I don't think I ever took my hand off my passport after that. And in fact, I think she probably slept with her passport. <clears throat> don't you think it's ironic how some of the most critically important things in our life we can treat so nonchalantly? In the case of our passage this morning, we can take the message of the gospel, something that is our identity, is our life, is our hope, and we can just kind of set it aside and kind of move on to other things and forget its implications for our life. Forget the status that it gives us, the access that it gives us, the life and the hope that it gives us. We can just kind of set it aside. But one of the things we're going to see in our passage is that we're called to continually and diligently guard the pure grace message of the gospel in our hearts daily 
Because here's the problem. Our hearts are prone to move away from it, to forget it, to forget its implications for our life. That's what we're going to talk about. As we come to our passage, there's three things I basically want us to see. One is, what is the gospel? Two, who is it for? And three, why must we continually guard the gospel in our hearts? That's what we're going to see. So let's go to our passage. Let's jump in. We're looking at the beginning of the book of Galatians. And Paul begins this book the way that he begins most of his letters. He begins with introducing himself. Paul, an apostle. Then he moves on to addressing his audience to the churches in Galatia, he says. And then he moves into a greeting. And he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, in fact, how Paul always begins his letters. Grace and peace to you. You know the way that he always closes his letters? Grace and peace be with you. It's not just well-wishing. It's not just words. It's an apostolic benediction. It's a pronouncing over his audience and over us. Grace and peace be yours because of what Christ has done. But then immediately he moves on from that into a summary of the gospel. Did you notice this in verse 4? He just kind of, just a short little summary of the gospel. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. See, Paul's always doing this. Paul is always summarizing the gospel in all kinds of different ways, drawing out its implications for us. And Paul can hardly go two verses without going back to the gospel. In fact, he never gives a command that he doesn't root in the truth of what Christ has accomplished in the gospel for you. He can't get away from it, expanding it, drawing out its implications. And right here, at the very beginning of the letter, he gives this little summary. So, what is the gospel? What do we learn about the gospel from this little summary of the gospel here? Well, two kind of core things. One, the condition of us who receive it, and what He has done to rescue us. Okay? That's what we'll see. First, what is the condition of those who receive it? Paul says this, Jesus gave Himself to rescue us from the present evil age. Now that's an interesting word to use, right? Rescue if you say you've rescued someone, what do you imply there? Do you imply that they in some way had a part in it? No. The very, the very idea of rescue implies the person rescued were totally helpless. They had no part in it. If they were not rescued, they would perish. That's what's bound up in the word rescue. There's um, <clears throat> a few folks in our congregation are EMTs. Um, I'm thinking of a couple guys, Drew Lancaster and Nathan Brower. And uh, I love to hear their stories about, you know, the kind of things that they get to do. But you know what they always tell me? They say most of it is not that glamorous or exciting. In fact, about 90% of their calls are for headaches. 
or a toothache or for the sniffles. And so they hop in their ambulance, they cut their lights on and their siren and they rush there and they show up ready to save a life and the person says, yeah, I've got a headache that's kind of been around for a little while. Or, you know, i got a tooth that's hurting me or something. And so these rescuers administer Tylenol. Now, if you were observing this, you would not say, wow, they just rescued that person there, would you? No, you'd say, well, they helped them out. I mean, it was pretty kind of them, right, to, to come all that way to deliver Tylenol and, uh, you know, to, to even cut the lights on and the, the siren. I mean, that's a lot of trouble to go to to help you, right? But you wouldn't say it was a rescue. You would say it was a rescue if there was cardiac arrest, right? If they're totally helpless and on death's door. That is what is implied by rescue. And that's what Paul is implying here. Jesus gave himself to rescue us. The message of the gospel is a message of total, complete, from beginning to end, utter rescue. For our condition is helpless. There's nothing that we can add to it. There's nothing that merits it. It is complete 100% rescue. Now, if you were to go out on the street, <clears throat> even in the Bible Belt, and you were to ask people, what is at the core of Christianity? You probably hear a lot of different things, but some of the things you might hear is, well, it's following the teachings of Jesus. Right? That'd be a common thing to hear. But that could not be further from the truth of what is at the very core of our faith. Because at the core of our faith, it's not obeying teachings. It's rescue by a Savior who came to deliver us from death. The Scriptures tell us, before Christ, you're dead. You're a dead man. You're a dead woman. Totally helpless and unable to do anything for yourself. So it's a complete, utter rescue. And understanding our condition is at the core of the Gospel. Now, we also learn in this little summary how it is that He rescued us. Did you notice that here? Jesus Christ gave Himself for our sins to rescue us. How did He rescue? He gave His life in our place. At the core of the Gospel, it's all about substitution. It's all about Him taking our place. You think about it, what Paul is saying here, Christ, He left the glories of heaven. He entered into our world and became like one of us. Imagine the condescension of being the Creator and becoming a creature. And He entered into the brokenness of this world and He lived the life that we should have lived and He was hung on the cross and on the cross, all of God's judgment for our sin was poured out upon Him. On the cross, He took our place in every way. But it's not only in His death that He became our substitution. It's also in His life. You ever think about this? In Jesus' life, every moment, every moment of His life, 
He loved God with all he had. In every moment of his life, he loved his neighbor as himself. In every moment of his life, he obeyed God, he kept the law, he lived the perfect life. Why did he do that? To be your substitute. You see, Christ in coming and giving Himself, not only is He your substitute in your death, taking all of the punishment that we deserve because of our sin, He's also our substitute in living the perfect life we never could have lived. He is our substitute in His life. And so His perfect, righteous record is counted to us. It's because He was our substitute. It's atonement. And this is at the very core of the gospel. So the gospel tells us this. Here's a summary. Let me give you a summary of the gospel. Relax. You're worse than you even know. Right? That's what he's implying here. He says, rescue. You know, relax. You're not close to being accepted by God on your own. Relax. You're worse than you even know. But you're more loved and accepted in Christ than you have ever dared to dream because He was our substitute. Because He became our substitute in every way, it is outside of you. It is accomplished entirely because of another. And what He has done has all the implications in the world for you right now. That is the core of the gospel. It's a radical rescue that we have no part in. And it's complete and perfect substitution. He is our hope in every way. So this is the gospel. Paul just sums it up here. As we go throughout the book of Galatians, you'll see him summing it up in all kinds of different ways. So now, who is it for? Who is this gospel message for? Well, Here's what you're thinking right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. I know that. Hutch, like, we're all Christians in here. Right? I hope we're not all Christians in here. I hope believers are coming. But we're thinking, we all know this. You're preaching to the choir here. Preacher man. You know, let's get on to some good stuff here. Yes, we know that. We know that. We know that. We think this isn't going to be an evangelistic sermon here. Right? The reason that we think those things is because we believe that the message of the gospel is the way that you enter in. But then the way you grow is up to you, right? Trying harder, learning the right techniques, learning, learning the right things to do. You know, you enter with the gospel, but then you move on to other things. And what Paul is going to teach us throughout Galatians is no, no, it's not how you enter. It's how you grow. It's how you're changed as you continually reapply the truth of the gospel to every corner of unbelief in your heart. That is how we change. As a young believer, this totally went right over my head. And it still does quite often. But as a young believer, I was a senior in high school. was not raised in a Christian home. And uh, I struck up a friendship with a, a Baptist preacher in Chickamauga and he was explaining the gospel to me and finally I got to the point where I said I'm shot I need rescuing and so I put my hope in Christ and I put my trust in Him to take all of my sins away and 
I began a walk with Jesus. But you see, subconsciously, I was believing something at the time. I had a very shallow understanding of the gospel. Here's what I was thinking to myself. I never would have verbalized this, but I thought, wonderful. Jesus has paid for all my past sins. But now it's up to me to live up to this. And so for about three months, that went great. Because I was so excited about my new faith. But then, not long after that, I graduated high school, went off to college, found myself in this world of temptation I've never, ever known. And I began to struggle, especially with old sin patterns in my life, and I didn't know what to do. So you know what I did? I ran from the Lord. I thought, i got to clean up. i got to clean up to come back to Him because He sees how nonchalantly I've taken Him and how I haven't been serious and how I haven't lived up to this. You see, I had a shallow understanding of the Gospel. You see, what I didn't realize is that it was not just my past sins that Christ has rescued me from, but all of my future sins as well. The Gospel is not just how you begin, but it's how you continue and how you live every single day of your life. So we see what the Gospel is. We see it's... It's not just for, for unbelievers. I mean, after all, who's Paul writing to here? He's writing to the churches of God in Galatia. Can you imagine that? He's writing, leading off with the gospel to people who have already accepted the gospel. Why would he do that? Why would he reiterate it? If the gospel were not for us every single day. So, thirdly, why must we continually guard the gospel in our hearts? Why is it so crucial? Well, let's look at the rest of our passage together. <clears throat> Did you notice in verse 6 a major tone shift here? You know, Paul's going along and he's like, grace and peace to you, and he's reiterating the gospel. And then in verse 6, boom, he is fired up. He is all worked up over something. Look at what he says. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. So Paul's saying, Paul who had come and first brought the gospel to them, that they had embraced and been saved. He had planted this church. And now he receives this report and he writes back and he says, I'm shocked. I'm shocked with you that just like that, you're deserting the one who has called you. Now, if you overheard somebody saying that, what would you think they had done? If you overheard somebody getting rebuked this way, what would you think the person had done? I know what we'd think. They've been honky-talking. <laughs> right? Wild living. Yep, been tugging on the bottle. That's what they've been doing. You know, we, we would think that they've been irreligious. Right? And been living right. They're living wrong. Better get right tonight. That's what we would think. I mean, isn't that only what deserting the one who called you means? No. Not at all. In fact, the reality of what was going on here, the complete opposite. They weren't becoming more irreligious. They were becoming more religious as a way to be more acceptable before God. And Paul is fired up. Look at all that he says to them here. 
You are turning to a different gospel. He says, you're deserting the one who called you by the grace of Jesus Christ. See, even there he's reminding them of the core of the gospel. He says, remember how God called you? Purely by grace. That's what you have left here. In verse 7 he says, evidently, some people are throwing you into, pervert, into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So, something's going on here. What's going on? What's happened here? Well, here's the background on it. Paul had come through Galatia. He had planted these churches. And then he went on about his way <clears throat> to plant other churches. Behind him, a group of Jewish Christians come in. Jewish Christians. They come in and they say, Hey guys, it is fantastic. Because the Galatians, well they were Gentiles, right? This is a Roman province. And so they come in and they say, Hey, it's fantastic that you have embraced Messiah. It's for you too. Okay? This is wonderful. But, it's not enough to simply trust in Him. No, to be fully accepted, don't you know? You've got to keep the law. Right? You've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the ceremonial law. You've got to eat the right stuff. You've got to observe the right days. Right? You've got to keep the law to be totally accepted before God. Now, now that would be a little hard to resist, wouldn't it? I mean, why would that be so compelling to them? You know, if somebody comes and they say, hey, it's fantastic to, to believe in Jesus, but you've also got to be more religious too. I mean, come on, who doesn't know that? You've got to obey the law to be accepted. Right? I mean, it, it almost feels intuitive that, hey, I want to please God, and so by doing more stuff, then I'll be more pleasing to Him. It was such a subtle message and such a tricky one. But in fact, what they had done, as Paul says, is they've deserted the gospel. Look at what else he says here. <clears throat> he says, you are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Paul says, if you add anything to the gospel, it changes the message totally and completely. Now why is that? Because as we've been saying, the message of the gospel is pure, free grace alone. And so you add any little thing to that. Well, you, you just, yeah, and you got to do this here. Or you got to do this. Add any little thing. Paul says, you change it totally. It's null and void. It's not the same gospel at all. In fact, it's no gospel at all. And what he'll say later in the book that we'll see is he says, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Now that's getting straight, right? Here's Paul's point. The gospel is Jesus, His work, plus nothing equals your rescue. You put anything else in that formula, it's a totally different formula. And the work of Christ will be of no benefit to you at all. Paul goes on to say, if anybody preaches to you a different gospel, even me, or even an angel from heaven, imagine that. 
the angel comes down from heaven. You know, you see this great dramatic vision. It says, yeah, faith in Jesus, great, but you've got to add a little bit. Now, that would be pretty compelling. Paul says, I don't care who it is. If it's me, if I go insane and tell this to you, if an angel comes down and tells it to you, it's not from God because it's not the gospel. It's a perversion, a distortion of the gospel. You are rescued by grace alone, apart from anything in you. So here I think, <clears throat> here I think is the million dollar question for us. What are ways in which we add to the pure grace message of the gospel? What are great ways that we do this? <clears throat> I think there are many ways. We could be here all day. But let me just give you three categories in which we are tempted to add to the gospel in order to be approved before God. Feeling, knowing, and doing. Three categories. First, what do I mean by feeling? That is, you are made more acceptable before God by feeling the right things. So this would be things like having the right spiritual experiences. It would be things like um, having the right spiritual talk. It would be like having a lot of passion and zeal. Right? It would be... It would, it would be emotional experiences that you have, ways that you worship. It would be all those kind of things where you say, I'm more acceptable to God because of this. So that's feeling. What about knowing? That would be, I'm made more acceptable to God by understanding certain things, knowing certain things. So that would be like, by knowing more Bible, I'm more acceptable to God. Or knowing good theology... Well, that makes me just a little more acceptable to God or, or having the right strategies, like the right strategies in parenting or, or, or whatever thing you go about. It's another way of understanding the right things somehow makes me more acceptable to God. And then finally doing. That is, I'm made more acceptable to God by what I do. The things that I do, like keeping the law like having daily quiet times, like sharing your faith or giving your money away or serving your neighbor or taking care of other people, whatever. It's the doing category. I am more acceptable because of this. Did you notice anything about all those things that we walk through? They're all really, really good. They're all good things. And that's what makes it so subtle and so tricky, right? To have passion and zeal for Jesus? Wonderful. Wonderful. To have emotional experiences with Him? Fantastic. Right? To, to grow in your knowledge of Scripture? To memorize Scripture? To grow in your understanding of theology? Fantastic. Scripture talks about that. Or to keep the law? to serve other people, to share your faith, to give everything. Why times? It's all wonderful things, all beautiful things, but they're powerless. They are powerless to make you acceptable before God. And that's where the problem comes in. 
is whenever we begin to rely upon those things for our standing before God. The core of the gospel is you are completely accepted based upon one thing. His substitution. It's outside of you. And any time we begin to locate our acceptance before God in any other thing than that, we are moving away from the gospel. So how do you know? How do you know if you're... I mean, I talked a lot about very subtle things. How do you really know if you're adding to the gospel? Well, I think it always leads in one of two ways. Either to boasting or to despairing. You know, boasting is kind of a... You know, looking down on other people, being full of yourself, and, and it's kind of saying, wow... Yeah, I really got something here. I've really done something. God must be so pleased with me because of these experiences that I've had. Or He, he must just be so delighted with me because, because of what I know, of the theology that I know, that they don't know over there. Right? Or the things that I do. You know, I serve people. All these people, they don't serve. But I serve. And God is pleased with me. You know how that is. You know how it is whenever you do something good and all of a sudden you have this rush that finally I'm accepted before God. You see, that's boasting. That is boasting. And boasting happens whenever you've added to the gospel and you've succeeded in it. Well, whenever you add to the gospel and you've failed, or you despair. That's the second thing it leads to. You feel worthless. You feel guilty. You ever feel guilt? Every one of you do. I know you do. You ever feel worthless, unworthy before God? You've added to the gospel. Whenever we add to the gospel and we fail to accomplish it, we feel utter despair and guilt. In my story that I shared earlier, it's exactly where I was. I'd added to the gospel. I am accepted by the free grace of Jesus Christ and my obedience. And whenever my obedience waned, I no longer felt I was accepted. I had added to the gospel and I was crushed with despair. So, boasting and despair. Two telltale ways to know that you've added to the gospel. And here is what both of those always lead to. And it's why it's a huge problem. It always leads to division in the body of Christ. It always ends up there. In fact, in the book of Galatians, that's the biggest problem. They got racism going on. They got classism going on. They've got fights and factions and arguments and all of these different things. Where do they come from? Paul says, you have left the gospel. Because how are those created? How is division created? I'm better than those people. I'm better. I know more. You know, I've experienced something more. You know, I do more. Because boasting, boasting and despair divides us. You see, the reality of the gospel... It's the ultimate equalizer. Because the first thing it tells you, you are so helpless before God that you must be rescued. So you know what that does? It puts every one of us on the same footing before Him. And it's not like some people needed this amount of rescue and these people needed this amount of rescue. Rescue doesn't work that way. We're all in the same place. So how can you boast? It's the ultimate humbler. 
you must be rescued. But it's also the thing that lifts us out of despair, fills us with joy, and moves us towards one another in community. Because it says, you are more accepted in Christ than you've ever dreamed. Because He substituted Himself for you. And so you know what that does? It creates unity. It brings us together. That's what the Gospel does. So what does this passage call us to do? To guard the Gospel daily in our hearts and to apply it and reapply it and work out its implications into every area of your life. Your marriage, your parenting, your job, your neighbors, your recreation, your church, everything. It has implications everywhere. And how do you do that? How do you work it out? It's through repentance and faith. Repentance is simply turning back to God and saying, I'm forgetting the gospel. I'm living like I'm something. I'm thinking I'm better than these people. But your gospel tells me it's not true. It's not true. I'm just like them. We're on the same place. But it also tells me we are acceptable in your sight. That's faith. Repentance is turning from unbelief in the gospel. Faith is returning in faith to Him. And that's how it changes you. As you work out its implications through a never-ending process of repentance and faith. So that summer in Russia, man, I was holding on to that passport the whole time. I don't know if I ever let my hand off of it. In fact, I got one of these little things that goes around your neck that goes inside your shirt, a little pouch that you put the, you know, it's hidden from pickpockets. So there was a lot of danger of losing your passport. And I insisted it was not a man purse. It was not. So I was guarding this passport all summer. You know one of the highlights of the whole summer? is uh, towards the end we got to go to the U.S. Embassy. And boy, this was something else because we had been in Russia. Man, we'd been in Russia all summer. And so we'd been eating borscht all the time, which is not pretty. And we missed our people. You know, we missed feeling like we were part of the people. You know, we, we got a taste of home. And so we got to go to the embassy. And you know the remarkable thing about it, you walk up and there's like layers of gates and, and everything to prevent anybody from getting in there. But they let us in. And once we got in, you know, we were completely accepted like we were one of them. I mean, we had rights in this place. I mean, standing in this place, we're like, nobody can touch us. We're secure. We're fully accepted. We're Americans. You know, that's what we're thinking in there. And it's like, these are our people. We felt freedom in this place. In a lot of places in Russia, we were on tiptoes. In this place, we were free. You know why we got into this place? It wasn't because of anything in us. You know, it, it was... We were born in a certain place. It's the only reason that we could have this kind of access. You know, the only difference between us and a Russian was where we were born. We had no part in that. They couldn't go in. They couldn't know that freedom inside of there. But we could. And it had nothing to do with us. You know how we got through all those gates? Past all those guards? Passport. It was this right here. You pull that up, it doesn't matter who you are. 
It doesn't matter what you've done, what your accomplishments are, or what they are not. It doesn't matter. This right here was our identity. It was our standing. It was our security. It's what made us who we were. And you pull this out, and the gates open, and you come right in, and they say, Welcome, American. Paul is teaching us that that is the gospel. It's got nothing to do with you. You have to be rescued. You have to keep being rescued. It's got nothing to do with you but entirely the work of another. And so Paul is saying, embrace it. Guard it. Work out the implications of that into every area in your life so that you will be freed to declare the praises of Him who bought you with His very own blood. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, would you...